All right. Would you mind standing in honor of God's word? If you have a Bible with you, turn to Psalm chapter 16. We're just doing one verse. Psalm 16, verse 3. David is speaking. I say of the holy people who are in the land. One translation says the saints in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your love. And Lord, life, life happens. And a lot of us, when we think of delight, we think of God alone. And we tolerate people, we get along with people, we try not to get in each other's way, but oftentimes the delight has worn off with people. Father, would you show us uh, how you see people? Would you wash our hearts? Would you remove our cynicism? Would you break down our walls and restore delight, not just in you, but in one another? Please, God, do something in our midst that only you could do, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. delight. We are, in January, every year, I do the four values of City Church. First one is come as you are. Joel did that. Uh, Last week was connect with God. We called it delighting in God. This week is connect with people, the, the third value. But the title of the message is delighting in one another. Not just finding pleasure, finding great pleasure in one another. So last October, November, Alice and I went to Malaysia. We went to visit the Durams, our missionaries there. They're also dear friends of ours. And um, it's, a, it's 20 hours of flying to, to get to Malaysia. And so that's a lot of time to pass. They have movies you can watch on the plane. And so I pulled up this movie called Tolkien. It's about J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. And, uh, and it was kind of the influences behind why he wrote what he wrote. And The Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite movies, it won Book of the Century in the 20th century. And, uh, so, and if you haven't seen the movie, I will ruin it for you today, and I'm so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> So I'm watching this movie, and it, it tells his story. And his dad, he really never knew his dad, and his mom uh, used to tell them stories when they were young boys, him and his brother. She would tell them these great stories. And then while he's still young, she does. So they're orphans. And she was very devoted to the church, and this priest steps up and takes charge of of these boys and he makes a place for them and he he sees to their education and so he gets put into this kind of private high school and he meets these three really good friends that are just they 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 are just knit together and they uh they they're kind of nerds they they share poetry with each other they read literature to each other and they decide amongst themselves they make a pact 
that they are going to change the world through art. That, that God's going to somehow use them to change the whole world through art. Well, they get into college and a great darkness comes over all of Europe. They're in, they're in England. A great darkness, World War I, comes to England and every single one of them feels like this call transcends, this call to, to battle, to push back the darkness, transcends even their education. And so all of them enlist and um, it's really quite tragic. Two of the four die in World War I. The third comes back and he's never the same after war. And the fourth is J.R. Tolkien. And he goes on to become a, a professor at Oxford, a professor of literature, and he has the two kids and his wife, and, and, but the, he's just not in the flow, and his wife says, Honey, you need to write a story. You need to write something from your heart that is fiction. It, it can't just be the logistics of literature. You need to write from your heart. So he, he turns to his boys and he says, how would you boys like to hear a really long story? And they said, Daddy, what, what kind of story? And he said, oh, he said, this is a story of of, of dragons and it's a story of, of heroes and courage and, and perseverance and, and honor and, and then he thinks for a while and he says this it's a story about fellowship and if you're familiar at all with the Lord of the Rings there's this great darkness that has gripped the land and that is the most important thing to push back this darkness or, or all of Middle Earth will be destroyed and come under its claw. And, and, but no one can just destroy the darkness, but they come together and there is this unlikely fellowship. And as they work together, these bonds go very deep and sacrifices are made. And the, 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 it's really about fellowship friendship. And so I get done watching this movie and I really feel like the Lord says to me this trip is about fellowship. Well, I'm a, I'm a type A. I, I like to do stuff. I like to get stuff done and we're going to have meetings and stuff and the Lord's like, no, no, I need you to make your goal fellowship. And so I just kind of that's how type A people need to work. They just, if I'm going to have a relationship, it's got to be my goal because I got to get something done. All right, we're in a relationship. Let's just be together. And so I just kind of backed off my, I'm just, we're just going to be with Sam and Jennifer. We're just going to hang out with them. We'll see what happens. It was so much fun. We just loved them. They, they're, so, they're great at fellowship. And then all of the meetings that they scheduled, they were just all about fellowship. They already knew these people and they'd, they'd bring a group over and we'd talk and then we'd start praying and the, God would touch them and then bigger meetings and it was all about fellowship. Friendship. Delighting 
not just in God, but in one another. I think it's very difficult in our culture to delight in people. And so I wanna, I wanna give three reasons why we don't delight in people. Number one, why don't we delight in people? We don't really believe God delights in us. Friends, until you get a hold of God delighting in you, it's gonna be really hard for you to delight in people because we tend to project however we are. And whatever we feel about ourselves, that's what we project on others. And, and it's, it's not so easy to believe that God delights in us. We did, this, we did this whole topic last week, but I just wanna to touch on one verse. This is uh, John 15, 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Okay, so God wants you and me to be filled with joy. The the whole series is called Finding Joy. Um, Jesus, now this is serious joy. In Hebrews 1, it says, uh, the Messiah says this, that God, you have anointed me with the oil of joy above all of my brothers. Of, the, of all of humanity, no one had more joy than Jesus. So what was his joy? Jesus' joy, this secret joy he had, was the delight the Father had in him. He just... He was loved. He was delighted in. And that was the joy. The joy that he had didn't come from circumstances. It didn't come from, you know, really giving it to the Pharisees. It didn't come from that healing or that. His joy was from his fellowship and the delight the Father had in him. And he said, he said, I've spoken these things. What I'm doing is to reproduce. I'm gonna bring you to the Father. You're going to know his love. You're going to know his delight in you. And you're going to experience that for yourself. This is the best version of who you are, is you filled with joy. And anything less than that, it's you. It's a version of you, but it's not the best version of you. Jesus said this, this is the new commandment, John 13, 34 and 35. This is a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay, do you see that you actually have to receive something before you can do this one? You have to let Jesus love you first. And then the way Jesus loves you, the way you have received love from Jesus, now you're able to love others because you learned something by the way Jesus loved you. So the first position of Christianity is passive. You were created first and foremost to be loved, to be delighted in, and to take that place before the Father. Here I am, Father, love me. Love on me. This is, we talk about fullness. We talk about the river rising. Let me tell you how the river rises, how we come in to more of God, the fullness of God. Paul prays it for us. Ephesians 3. And I pray that you, 
being rooted and established in love. So this whole thing starts with love. It starts with you recognizing God loves me. That's why Jesus died for me. I accept Christ. So the very root of our Christianity is God loves me. Believing at some level God loves me. But how do you grow up in it? Look at this. Here's the prayer. That you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, know there is experience, this love that surpasses mere head knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To get filled with joy, you have to get a greater revelation of God's love for us. To live from that place of delight, you've got to get God's delight. Now I can delight because I've received delight from God. That's point one. Here's point two. Why don't we delight? Point two, because we've been hurt by people. This summer, we were, at, we were coming out of a restaurant, and I was just struck by this man who was at, at a table on the way out because he had this T-shirt on, and it said this. I used to be a people person, but people ruined it. <laughs> he's got this, he's wearing it on his T-shirt. I eat, don't talk to me. <laughs> I don't like you. I am planning on not liking you. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I used to like people. Don't, any, don't like them anymore. Because people ruined it. And, and, and all I could think of when I saw that t-shirt was, no, I don't think people ruined it. I think a person ruined it. I think in his vulnerability that somebody stabbed him in the back, somebody did him wrong, and all of a sudden, all of his defenses came up and he made a promise to himself, that's never gonna happen again. I'm never gonna let anybody get that close again. I.e., I can't receive love and I can't give love, delight in love. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people get here. So how do you get out of there? Well, I have called this the mathematics of forgiveness. And I've got four equations for us. Isn't this fun? I love equations. Four, four equations that I, want, I just want to talk about together, okay? So here's equation number one. The relationship, the value you place on the relationship is less than the offense. Let me define what an offense is because I'm going to be using offense a lot. So here's, here's the dictionary of offense. Annoyance or resentment brought about by a real or perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standards or one's principles. So here's how this works. We have a relationship and... I get offended. And oftentimes, our immediate go-to is clearly the relationship is less valuable to this person than them offending me because they offended me. If they really valued me, if they really loved me, they wouldn't have done what they did. So clearly, they don't think this relationship is important. Therefore, I am justified at being angry. 
I'm justified at holding a grudge. I'm justified in holding on to this because they shouldn't have done that and, and they, are, they aren't valuing their relationship, so I'm not going to. And so the way, here's how this one works, okay? So will, will I forgive? Yes, but the other person has to prove to me that the relationship is valuable enough. Well, how are they gonna prove? Well, you could crawl to me with tears in your eyes and beg me to forgive you. You could, you know, I'm gonna punish you for a certain amount of time and if you still want, if you're still around, I'm gonna be really mean to you and if you're still around after that, then maybe you really wanna make this thing right and, and but some, there's something, you have to prove to me that, that the, the relationship is valuable or I'm, or I'm just justified in just holding on to this thing. So that's equation one. All right, let's move to equation two. Here's equation number two. The relationship is more valuable than the offense. Now, what happens is, I think, as we mature, as we grow up, as we realize, okay, this world has got a lot of different people and they've got a lot of different opinions, and if I'm gonna get offended every time somebody disagrees with me, I'm not gonna know anybody. I'm not gonna have any friends. And so, so I can rise above. People are offending me all the time because they, they're not agreeing with me or they're not doing my values, they're not doing it the way. But you know what? I'm bigger than that. I can rise above that and I can say just because they're not just how I want them to be doesn't mean we can't have a relationship. And so, and, and Proverbs says this. It says it, it, it's wisdom or honor, an honor for a man. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It, you're a better person when you're less offendable, where I'm just not gonna get bent out of shape because everybody doesn't do it my way or that everybody doesn't agree with me and that I can be bigger than that. And that way I don't have to give up relationships just because somebody disagrees with me. Well, several years ago, I'm at a different church. We have a staff, I'm the head pastor. And somebody from the congregation reports to me what the youth pastor's wife said about me. It wasn't good, folks. It wasn't good. I'm the pastor. I'm doing my best to lead this church. And she says something behind my back to church people that questions my wisdom, questions whether this is the right thing, um, just kind of grumbling. And I'm, I'm hot. I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna find her. <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna talk this thing out because this is just, this, is, this, kind, this can't go on. This is division. And this verse comes into my mind. Isn't it inconvenient when a verse comes into your mind that's very different than what you want to do? This verse comes into my mind and it really, really sounds like one of the Proverbs. But I am going to make sure it's actually in the Bible before I act on it. So I look all through Proverbs. I cannot find this verse. I keep looking and I find it in Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes 7, verses 21 and 22. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. 
So the Lord just, he took me back to when I was the youth pastor. And he's like, Tom, did you ever disagree with the head pastor? Mm, yeah. Did you ever grumble about it? Oh, yeah. Is this that different than that? No, it's really not. Why don't you just let it go? Instead of having a bunch of drama about this, why don't you just rise up and recognize that you're the pastor, and so you're going to get some criticism, and it, it don't even take a person. Just let it go. Mm, okay. Being bigger, just being a bigger person. All right, so here's, but here, here's the problem. It's not just, an offense is not just something, a perceived wrong. Sometimes it's a real wrong. Sometimes they did mean it. Sometimes they know exactly what they're doing and they're treating you like dirt. They're treating that relationship like dirt and they're doing something, sometimes intentionally, we call those people enemies. They're doing it intentionally. They hurt you, they abused you, they molested you, they betrayed you, they did something that is absolutely inexcusable. It is actually sin. I mean, they sinned against you. There's no other way to say it. They sinned against you. So now what do we do? Well, this brings us to the third equation. Here's our third equation. Christ is greater than any offense. Look at the scripture that goes with this. It's Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ... God forgave you. Now, let's be clear. God is not forgiving you of perceived wrongs that he has experienced. No, no, you've sinned. You've sinned against God in a thousand ways. Probably 10,000. You've sinned in many different ways, and they're, they're not perceived wrongs. They are actual sins. But God, in his great mercy, sent Jesus to die for those sins so that when we come in relationship with him, he can forgive us in Christ. He can give us a new beginning. That is absolutely amazing. Forgiveness is absolutely amazing. But then he says this. Now, do you remember how Jesus forgave you? Oh, yeah. Okay, now I need you to forgive others in the same way. Not for their sake, not for your sake, but for Jesus' sake. That Jesus is more valuable to you than your offense. Pastor Tom, you don't, no, 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 no. It's, it, what happened to me was not fair. It was absolutely wrong. Okay, I will grant that in a second. Absolutely wrong should not have happened. It was, it was clearly sin. But let me tell you something. The greatest wrong, the greatest injustice, the greatest not fair did not happen to you. It happened to Jesus on the cross where Jesus died for your sins. That's the greatest injustice that ever happened. That the holy lamb of God took on your sin and my sin. And now he says, now I've forgiven you 
Now here's what I want you to do for me. I want, to, I want to be so valuable to you that there's nothing that you will not let go of. And not just let it out there like well, you don't care if there's justice. No, no, just forgive them and then I'll take care of it. Jesus will take care of it. The anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. You can't make your own righteousness, folks. Only God can make it right. So we forgive. We forgive for his sake. Here's, here's why it's so important. Jesus came. He said, I'm preaching good, the good news to the poor. God's anointed me to preach. I'm, I'm here to bind up the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to open up the prison doors, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is Luke 4, 4 18 and 19. Now, the favorable year of the Lord to us just sounds like, I don't know what it sounds like, but to the Jews, they knew exactly what it meant. The favorable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. It's the year that everybody gets a new beginning. Everybody gets their property back. Everybody gets forgiven of their debts. If you're a slave, you get freed. Everything comes back, and everybody gets a new beginning. It is the year of the Lord's favor. Isn't it exciting to get a new beginning with God? Three people. Praise God. Um, <laughs> But here's why it's good news for the poor. Because the poor are the ones that get forgiven. They're the ones that get their property back. They're the ones that get out of slavery. It's not that great a year for the rich. Because the rich are the ones that have to give their, let their slaves free and give back the property. And they have to forgive all of the debts that were owed to them. They have to. And, but the favorable, you, you can't have one without the other folks. You can't walk in God's favor. You can be a Christian but you're not going to have his favor flow as long as you, you took the new beginning, but now you're not giving a new beginning. You can't have it both ways. Jesus couldn't have said it clearer. He made us pray it in the Lord's Prayer for crying out loud. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if that wasn't good enough, here's how he ends the prayer. He finishes the prayer, and then he says, just in case we haven't heard it, for if you don't forgive people their trespasses, the Father is not going to be able to forgive you. You will not walk in that place of favor and forgiveness. Well, Lord, I, you know, I hate my dad and I can't forgive my dad, but I want to be a Christian. I'll do everything else. Well, let me just give you a little heads up. You're not going to grow. You're not going to, it's not like God says, okay, you don't want to do A. Great. We'll do B, C, and D first. No, God, when God says we're going to do A, you're going to do A. Or you're, or you're just not going to have any activity with God. And you're going to wonder where God is and why you're not growing and why you go to church and you do all these things and you read the Bible and you give money and you do all this stuff and I can't seem to grow. Uh, because God's waiting. He's very gentle. He'll wait. He's, he's extremely patient. It's like, it's like he doesn't live in time. <laughs> It's just like, it's, this is on you. We'll, we'll wait. When do you want to talk about it? Lord, I want to talk. Okay, let's talk about your dad. Oh, not that. Hmm? Okay. You don't want to talk about anything? Nope. Forgive. There's one more equation, and it's this Christ is greater than all other relationships. Here's what you're going to find. There are some people that are going to be offended by you just because you're Christian. 
Just because you love Jesus, you're one of those narrow-minded Christians, uh, just because you won't cheat, steal, you won't help them cheat and steal, you, you won't join them doing whatever thing they want, and they will use their own rejection of you as like a tool to, 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 to bully you into doing what they want you to do, to compromising your faith. Now, if you want to be a Christian, Jesus said this, I, I have to be the most important by far. You gotta love me more than father, mother, wife, children, even your own self. I need to be the most important one. Don't say I came to bring peace because I will end up making some of your own family members enemies. I'll set a father against his ch- child, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Uh, I, there's going to be problems because of me. Here's how it works. There's a a relationship, they're mad at you because of this or because of that, and because of the value we place on relationships, we try to make it right. We find out what's wrong. But sometimes they are not willing to give you forgiveness. They want to be offended with you. And here's what you need to do. You need to make peace with it. Jesus is more important. I'm not selling my soul and changing what I believe to try to fit into your box. Here's, here, here's the scripture. It's Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Here's what that means. You're not gonna be able to be at peace with everybody. <laughs> all you could do, because you can't do both parts. All you can do is your part. And so what I do with people is I always leave the bridge open. They hate me. They don't like me. They're not gonna go to the church. They don't, not gonna, whatever. I just let them know I love you and you're always welcome here. I say that to the church. I say that in relationship. You're always welcome to this friendship. But I'm not gonna be bullied by you. I'm not not for sale. Why? Jesus is more important. I only need to please Jesus. I don't need to please all these people. I just need to please Jesus. And, but that bridge is always open and if you, if you want to hold on to that, you, and it's amazing the energy people have to hold on to stuff. Um, and I, and I, I have more of this than everybody else just because I'm a pastor. I'm in this position that people, if people are mad at God, who are they usually mad at? The pastor. <laughs> and, and there's lots of folks that are mad at God. So the, it puts me in the fire. And so I realize it's not all personal with me, but... Um, but I would be a mess if, if I had to be at peace with everybody at all times or I couldn't sleep at night. No, go ahead and sleep at night. It's okay that somebody's mad at you. It's okay that you got, didn't get invited to the party. Go ahead and sleep. If Jesus is happy, then that's good enough. And then there's this amazing verse in Proverbs. It says this, if a man's ways please the Lord, he'll make even his enemies to be at peace with him. And I've seen it. I've seen people that laughed, that were mad, that were angry, that have come back and said, Pastor Tom, I was wrong. And I'm not here like, told you. And that, no, that, there's none of that in there. And I'm not saying they come back to the church. I'm just saying they come back to me and say that, that what God, God's, God speaks to people. God can move people. God can change people. All right, let's, that's enough of the mathematics. Let's move on. Point three, why don't we delight in people? Why don't we delight in one another? We compare instead of compliment. So Paul has this whole section 
in 1 Corinthians 12, and you can read about it. And Paul is saying, this is how you need to understand um, yourself. You are part of a body. You're part of the body of Christ. And everybody has a different part. And they complement each other. And then he says, the foot cannot say to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I'm not really part of the body. This is insecurity. This is the foot saying, how come the hand gets lotion on it? How come everybody wants to shake hands? How come the hand gets to have a glove over it? If I can't be a hand, I am not part of this body because hands are clearly more important than I am. Paul says that's the wrong way to think about it. And then he says, the ear can't say to the eye, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. No one stares into your beautiful ears. No one says, oh, your beautiful blue ears. I mean, (laughs) and and, and it's interesting that he starts with the two, that, that the first tendency of human beings is in our insecurity to say, because I'm not the most important in my own eyes, then I'm not, I'm not part of this thing. Paul says, no, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. Every part is needed. Every part plays a different role. Every part is it, going to look different on everybody, but every part is needed. So don't be insecure. You are needed. You have gifts. We need you as part of the body of Christ. Then he says, the eye can't say to the hand... Don't need you. Now, I, I notice this because I think it's interesting. So in the first two runoffs, the hand is better than the, the foot and the eye is better than the ear. And then the eye, now we're gonna have another runoff against the two winners. And the eye says, don't need the hand. I can do this without the hand. Here's what the hand says back. I'd like to see you pick something up, buddy. Mr. Levitation. <laughs> you can, and that's pride. When we say, I can do it, I don't need the rest of the body of Christ. I don't need the people around. No, no. To, to reveal Christ, if your goal is to reveal Christ, then we need each other. If, if, if our goal is, is the fullness and the, of the beauty and the love and the power of God to be revealed in our midst, then we need one another. If, if, our, if we've got a different goal, you might be able to do it by yourself. But you're, it's not going to be God's goal. We need each other. So we, had, uh, we have these days away as a staff, and we, we have some type of renewal in the morning. We have worship, and I'll give a message, or we'll bring somebody in. Well, our last one, we brought in Ted Geary. And uh, Ted's very anointed, speaks all over the place. And, uh, and I just said, Ted, would you just come and whatever's on your heart. And so he shared this message, and part of it was about staying in your lane. And he, and he, and he, said, he said, you know, you, where there's 10 pastors, and, and, but you guys aren't in competition with each other. And, and, and you can't be. You've got to recognize God's got you in a lane. You've got gifts, and you need to stay in your lane and don't compare yourself and measure yourself by other people's gifts or other people's progress or what other people are doing because you're really doing different things. But if you focus on what you're doing, that then there will be this beauty that comes about and God's fullness will be released. And, and so the message was stay in your lane. And, and uh, 
That's easier said than done. It's very, very human to compare, isn't it? Disciples' favorite conversation was which one of them was the greatest. They, they would be left alone for just a few minutes, and it's which one of us is the greatest, and not me, you, da-da-da-da-da. And, uh, and so, you know, and Jesus would rebuke them and say, you know, the greatest in the kingdom is not the one that gets everybody to serve them, but the one that serves everybody, and that's like in one ear and out the other. They're like, yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord, yeah, Lord. I think I'm better than you. Um, so, you know, you know the story. They all deny him. They all, they all flee when he's crucified. Peter denies him three times to a servant girl. And, and in John 21, Jesus is reinstating Peter. And he says, uh, uh, feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs. And, and then he says these words to Peter. He says, the day is coming um, where you will go where you don't want to go. And, and he's, he's, John says, he's saying Peter's going to die for him one day. Peter said, I'm willing to die for you. He wasn't willing to die. He wouldn't even confess him before a little servant girl. But the day is coming when he will die for him. And so Peter, Jesus has just told Peter that he's going to die for him. Here is Peter's reaction. John 21, 21 and 22. So Peter, seeing him, John, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Are you kidding me? He's just been told he's going to die. Okay, how about him? What's going to happen with him? I'm better than him. If I'm going to die, what's going to happen to him? Anyway, here's what Jesus says. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Here's one translation of this, and I love this one because it's funny to me. Jesus says, whether he lives or dies, what's that to you? That's not your business. Here's your business. Follow me. Follow me. Get your eyes on me. See, here's the problem. When we spend our energy staying up with the Joneses, when we spend our energy on Facebook trying to find out what everybody else is doing and how I can make myself look better and how I can compare better and how I can be held up more and, and, and the energy that it takes to compare and measure could be used at you doing what God's called you to do. And Jesus says, follow me. So anyway, but Ted gets done speaking and we go into this prayer time for each staff member and he says, you know, if anybody has anything else, you can, you can pray it over people and you can prophesy it over people. And so we're, we, we're praying over one of, our, one of our staff and I get this, I immediately get this picture of Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire is the story of Eric Little. Eric Little is, uh, is in, in a Scot in the early 20s, who's training for the Olympics, and um, but he's a man of God, and he, him and his his parents were missionaries, and his sister and him are planning to be missionaries in China, and and he but he's training for the Olympics, and she comes to him, her name is Jenny, and says, "What are you doing? What are you, are you running around a track? We're called to China. Get your." Get your head back in the game. Get back in God's will. And he says this to her. He says, Jenny, he, do, he doesn't have scripture for her. He doesn't have, this is what the Bible says. He doesn't have any of that. Here's what he says to her. Jenny, God has made me very fast. And I feel his pleasure when I run. I don't 
I don't understand it either. I can't explain it, but this is what I'm supposed to do. I feel his pleasure when I run. And, and the word to this staff member was, don't just stay in your lane. Run! Run! Feel the pleasure of God. Go for it. We're cheering for you. You don't have to, you don't have to meet anybody else, else's expectation. You don't have to do any other gifts. Just do what God called you to do. But run. And as you run, feel the pleasure of God. And folks, here's my word for you. Run. Find your lane, find your gift, find what God's called you to, and then run and feel the pleasure of God. You may not be able to explain it to somebody else. You may not understand exactly, but this is what God made me to do, and I'm doing it for the glory of God, and I feel his pleasure in it. Here's why it's so important that you run. Because when anyone else runs, there's more for all of us. Do you know when the water rises that every boat in the harbor goes higher? <laughs> we, we need to cheer for each other. We, we need to help each other find their spot. It's a tremendous joy to stay in your lane. You don't have to judge anybody else what they're doing. You're not their judge. Jesus is their judge. You don't have to save anybody else. You're not the Savior. You can, you can give help. You can care without carrying them. You can give advice. Absolutely give advice. But don't make your identity in your advice, folks. Give your advice for free. We call it delivering the mail. The mailman does not have his identity in your response to that letter. He doesn't, he doesn't hide out and watch to see that you pick. Did they even get the mail? Did they even get it? And if they got it, then he's got to look through the, the door to see if you opened it. And if you opened it, did you really respond to it? Guys, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. They're not yours. They're, they belong to Jesus. They ask for advice, give advice. You want to know, you want to know if, if God is asking you to speak to somebody, how would I know if God really wants me to say something to somebody? Here's how you know that God wants you to say something to somebody. If they ask you. That's the clearest word you're gonna get that you should say something because they ask you. And when they ask you, be bold and be wise and be loving. But more than anything, be free. You do not need to add the King James to your advice to people. Thus saith the Lord God of heaven. You need to sell that and do that and go there. For some reason, you put a few these and thous in there and it's more authoritative. Because this isn't just my advice. God is speaking through me. Listen, if God is really speaking through you, then make it easy for them. Take off all of that language and just say it. And God will give them a witness. He'll, they'll be the one to say, oh my, that's God. And then you'll know it's God. Okay, I need to move on. When you run, when we get people running in their lane, 
there's more for everybody. Here's what happened with Eric Little. 1924 Olympics. He says no to his well-meaning sister. No, I need to do this. It, he's, he's training for the 100 meters because he, him and Harold Abrams, who is from England, he's from Scotland, are the fastest men in the world. The whole world wants to see this runoff between these two guys. And so he's trained for four years for the 100 meters. They get, they get to the week before the Olympics, and it turns out that one of the trial runs, one of the qualifying runs, is on a Sunday. Well, he has got a deep conviction. You don't do anything on Sunday. He has taught Sunday school. He's a hero. Kids follow him, and he's used his voice to say, Sunday's the Lord's Day. You don't do anything on Sunday. And that was just his personal conviction. And so when it was on Sunday, he was, couldn't have been sadder, but he had to go to the Olympic Committee and say, I can't, I can't run. I don't run on Sundays. The Olympic Committee is like, son, are you kidding me? You've trained for four years. Son, son, um, God will forgive you. I mean, you need to run. This is, we planned this. And they try to think, they're trying to move the day. No, we can't move the day. And so he's just, He's just out. And then this friend comes on the team, and he says, listen, to the Olympic Committee. He says, listen, the whole world wants to see Eric run. He can't run on Sunday. I've already won a medal, and I've also qualified for the 400. Why don't we just let Eric run in my spot? And then at least the world will see him run. And they're like, all right. So the day comes for the 400 meters an event he hasn't trained for. They're at the starting gate, and the the guy from America, the runner from America, comes up and hands him a little note, and it's got in it, 1 Samuel 2.30, I will honor those that honor me. He crumbles that up and holds it in his hand, and he runs the 400 meters and gets a gold medal in front of the whole world. And that story goes all over the world back in 1924 and because he ran because he he did what God was calling to do a message went out that there's something more important than running or winning that God's more important and every Christian all over the world was strengthened the water rose for every Christian because somebody lived their faith and didn't just talk about it and then the whole world saw God honor that decision. And so the water just rose for all. Somebody ran in their lane and everybody was blessed. That's a great story. But it gets better. Because 60 years later in 1984, they make a movie about it called Chariots of Fire. And the Academy Awards nominates and votes Chariots of Fire, best picture of the year in 1984. And the whole story is told again. And Christians everywhere are strengthened because when one runs in their lane, there's more for all of us. Guys, we need to cheer for each other. Get in your lane and run. We need to cheer for other churches. We need to cheer for people. We're not against, we're for them. We're not competing with them. They're our brothers and sisters. Okay. We're gonna bring this to a close. Here we go. So in Luke 15, we have the story of the prodigal son coming back and the father welcoming him, and then the older brother is mad. And uh, in Luke 15, 30, 
the father goes out to talk to the older brother. Why are you out here? And he says this. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Two verses later, here's the father's response. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want you to notice something. The older brother calls him your son. And the father calls him your brother. Friend, you may be a favored son or favored daughter of God, but let me tell you something. You're not an only child. I'm not just a favored son of God. Thank God in Jesus I am. But I'm not just that. I'm also your brother. Sorry. <laughs> you were born into a family. You are born into a family. And I'll tell you what, we need the family of God. We've come through a horrible loss. Most of you know about it. And God has held us in this time. Not just directly, but he's held us through the body of Christ. People hugging on us. People praying for us. People sending little notes. People sending uh, financial gifts. Can I just say one thing about the financial gifts? All of the unexpected funeral expenses for Josh and Ann are paid now. All of our unexpected travel expenses that we had are all paid. No one has to give any, any more money. The body of Christ, without anyone telling them to, has just come and loved on us and prayed for us. And, and I'll tell you what, you feel it. You feel the healing of that. How can I be mad? How can I be bitter? God is so good. And his goodness just oozes through his people. The family of God. So here's how I want to end. The reason why the older brother is outside of the party is because he's, he's comparing himself and how he's being treated to how the prodigal is being treated. And he says, it's not fair. And a lot of times, well, first, let me say this. There's a party, folks, going on. It's a party called Grace. There's a party that God is throwing over his people where there is joy and there's delight and there's peace and there's provision and the goodness of God is experienced. There's a party going on. But sometimes we're not in the party. Even though we're a son, even though we're a daughter, we're, we're mad. <laughs> we're mad at this person, we're mad at that person, we're out, outside the party and I'm not going in. And the father comes out to you just like he came out to the older brother. He didn't just go and meet the prodigal. He goes out and finds his older brothers and says, what are you doing out here? Well, I'm mad. Who are you mad at? I'm mad at them. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at whatever. Father's like, I love you. Come on back into the party. Let it go. Forgive. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Worship team can come back up.
Friends, the first call is simply this. First people I want to pray for is simply this. Christianity doesn't work by you doing stuff if you haven't received anything. The beginning of Christianity is you need to be forgiven. <laughs> you need to let Jesus forgive you. You need to, let, to know that Jesus, his delight is in you. He died and rose again for you. The Bible says today, he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice, doesn't matter how much you've sinned, doesn't matter what you've done, how long you did it, Jesus loves you. Nothing has changed his love for you. There's nothing you could do that says God, that where God says, oh, I don't love them anymore. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He is alive today and he's in this place. And if he's knocking on your heart, the idea that you're just gonna start doing different things, it's not gonna work. It can, your Christianity will be very confusing to you. It all starts by receiving something. So if Jesus is knocking, the first thing we do is we open that door. Every head's bowed because it's between you and God. The reason why I have a show of hands is because I like to pray because somebody helped me open my door and I, I just like to give words for people. So if that's you, Jesus is knocking and you want to open your door today and experience his forgiveness and his love. Would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it? I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand. God bless you. That hand, that hand up in the balcony. Got you. I see, I got you, bro. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're gonna pray in just a moment. I got you, sir. Thank you. Everybody that raised their hand, would you just slip it over your heart right now and pray something like this? You can use your own words or just repeat mine. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've offended you and not just perceived. I have done wrong against you. Thank you for dying for me. I ask you now to come into my heart. Wash me, save me, be my Lord and Savior. And Lord, help me to feel your pleasure as I run. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand to our feet? The second group is simply this. You suspect that you're outside the party right now. <laughs> and it's because of, because of somebody that's hurt you, somebody that you've been offended with. And, and for Jesus' sake, you want to forgive. You want to bring pure worship and say, Jesus, you're more important than my offense. You're more important than the bad thing that happened to me. I want to forgive and release them to you. And I want to come back into the party. If that's you, just open your arms like this. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, you see open arms all over this place. Thank you for being so faithful to come to us, to bring to our attention that we're holding on to something. And now, Lord, in an act of worship to you, we just say, Jesus, you are greater than the bad thing that happened to me. You're greater than the offense. You're greater than the injustice. And so, Lord, I just... I give it to you right now in an act of worship. Untie it from my heart. And Lord, I'm coming back into the party. Fill me today with your delight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's how we're gonna end. Usually we turn down the lights. We have a uh, uh, prayer team's up here. We're not doing that today. Lights are gonna stay up. These are all connect groups that are starting in February. All different kinds, all different places, some near you, some at church, some on topics, some on the sermon. 
Here's the response I want you to look at if you're not in a group. All the groups that are filled, we didn't put them up here. That would just torment you. These all have room in them still. But these books tell you about all of the groups. The ones that are full obviously are not here, but the other ones. We want you, if you haven't connected with a small group, to get out of the boat. I know that if you're not connected in a small group, there's a reason. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just calling you out come and at least consider being in a group. Come and at least read about them. Come and at least and see if God doesn't invite you. Because these aren't just groups that are going to meet. I see friendships here. I see lifelong friendships that are going to be developed. I see delight here in this group. And here's the other thing I see. Just by you coming forward, taking one of these pamphlets and saying, all right, God, whatever. You're trying to answer and and I'm trying to answer Jesus' prayer. Father, make them one. Make them one as we are one. Then the world will believe. This is part of how revival comes. When we do hard things, and if we've been hurt in the past, if we've been, we're willing to try again. And so that's the altar call. It's just lights up. They're going to do a song. But come on up and see if you want to be in a group. And that's it. God bless you. Have a great day.